Recently, I had an event in New York City. I had hundreds of people come and I brought actual real couples up on stage and did a mini podcast right there in front of everyone. It was awesome. And I'm very pleased to announce that I'm doing two more events. I want to let you know about it before anyone else knows. June 1st, I'm going to be in Philadelphia. June 4th in Boston. If you want tickets, you can get them at iwt.com slash philly and iwt.com slash boston. Between now and May 3rd, you can use the pre-sale code RICHLIFE to get tickets. Again, June 1st, I'll see you in Philly and June 4th in Boston, iwt.com slash philly and iwt.com slash boston. You know, money doesn't have to be boring. I get a lot of questions of people who have set up their accounts, who have money being saved, and they're like, what now? What's next? How am I supposed to design my rich life? That is why I created the journal. The journal is something you can do either on your own or with a partner. Imagine yourself 15 minutes in the morning, you have a cup of steaming tea, and you're sitting down following the prompts that help you envision what your rich life is. What's your perfect week? What's your perfect month, year? This journal is designed as a no-numbers journal. It's not technical, but it's going to help you understand what you truly value and also what you don't care about. I recommend you pick up a copy of this journal. You can do it solo or with a partner, and it will help you design your rich life. Get it at any bookstore now. The story that I grew up with is in a regular romantic relationship. The man is chivalrous, and when the bill comes, that bill is always going to go to the man, and he's going to pick it up and pay it. So when we're out at dinner, and the check comes, and I want to pick it up, in her mind, it isn't a good financial decision for me. So it's kind of a it's kind of a catch twenty two because I'm expected to pick up the check, but at the same time, when I do, it's kind of oh, you sh- you shouldn't be doing that because I don't think you can afford it. I often feel like well, what am I even bringing to the table here? Connie said that our biggest relationship issue was, that the biggest thing holding our relationship back was money. And so with where I am there, it's like, why am I even, sometimes I even ask, well, why, why even, why even date somebody with such a huge discrepancy with money? When we talk about money, I have come across as extremely demeaning. And I think part of that has probably made Wes feel a little unworthy of being in this relationship because our balance sheets look different. Connie believes that when she goes out on a date, the man should pick up the check. But in her one-year relationship with Wes, she out-earns him. And when he tries to pay for the check, she tells him he shouldn't because he should save his money. Today, we're going to talk about gender roles and how they influence the way we see money. You're going to learn about how differently Connie and Wes were raised with money and how that affects the way they treat it today. Now, I've noticed that a lot of us like to believe we are logical and we make decisions because of very sound reasons. But I love this podcast because we get to have an honest discussion of how we are not logical and how psychology causes us to behave in peculiar ways. If you want to download a copy of the Conscious Spending Plan template that Connie and Wes used on this episode, you can go to iwt.com slash episode 64. This is the I Will Teach You To Be Rich podcast, and I am Ramit Sethi. 
Connie, when you think about money in a relationship, what is the story that you grew up with? The story that I grew up with is in a regular romantic relationship. The man is chivalrous. And when the bill comes, that bill is always going to go to the man and he's going to pick it up and pay it. That means he loves me or in my dad's situation with my mom, that he's the provider and that he's going to take care of the family. Mm-hmm. Financial provider, but also just protector of the mm-hmm. family. Like it has a bigger implication than just the financial means. What was the role of your mom in that partnership? Ironically, she made more money than my dad, but her role was to, to love him and to be grateful for him for, for doing that and for picking it up and for taking care of the family. So your mom made more than your dad. And when you went out to eat in your family, who, do, who got the check? My dad always did. He always reached for it. And if okay. it wasn't given to him, he always reached for it because that's what, that's what the man does in the relationship. And do you think that's universal? In the story that I tell myself about what I'm looking for in my rich life romantic relationship, it's, oh, it's always there. Got but it. no, I do realize that sometimes bills are split and some women like to pick up the check and they don't want the guy to pick up the check for them. But With your mom earning more and your dad reaching for the check, what credit card did he use to pay it off? Like, Was he paying with his money or their money? He was probably paying with their money. Okay. Does that muddy the story for you at all or not? Somehow it doesn't. He got to a point where they were both very comfortable with sharing the money. And they both fully trusted each other. And I grew up in a very fiscally conservative family. They were both very frugal. And I think they both implicitly trusted each other with their money. You think they talked about money a lot? We did. We talked about money all of the time. Mm. Every single dinner that we sat down with from the time I was five, six, seven, by the time I was eight, I could tell you about the benefits of compound interest. We talked about money every opportunity that my parents had. And I love talking about money. I love talking about finances. Were you upper middle class, wealthy? What would you say? From... The amount of money that my parents were bringing in, we were probably upper class. But that being said, we also did all of our shopping at Salvation Army because that's where we shopped. Hmm. So based on our income, we were probably upper class. Based on the amount of money that we spent, we were probably lower middle class. What was the amount of money? What are we talking about? Because you know, the reason I ask is that I, I have people who have $10 million on this podcast and they call themselves upper middle class. I yes. go, uh... <laughs> Um, so my mom's a physician and mm-hmm. my dad is in real estate. Okay. So very, very solid six figures. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, but very uh, frugal with money. And w- what, what's their financial situation now? They're, they'll never have to worry about money. I find her response fascinating. Notice that Connie's parents talked to her about money since she was five years old. That's a clear contrast to many people whose parents never talk to them about money. Put yourself in Connie's shoes. If you had been thinking about money since you were five, how would you feel about it? How would you feel if you met a partner who was not investing in their Roth IRA? In fact, who didn't even know what a Roth IRA was. 
I also want you to notice that Connie presents the man as the provider when it turns out that her mom actually made more than her dad. Now let's listen to Wes's experience growing up with money. Well, so in my past and with past relationships, I have always been the man that is provided. Uh, I always had the most income in a household, in a relationship. And I did pick up the check and I did the grocery shopping and I did the, I, I paid towards the rent. And, you know, I, I, took, I took on that weight. I think one thing that Connie has a bit of a problem with is she doesn't believe that I am as in good of a spot financially as she would like or ideally would be at. So when we're out at dinner and the check comes and I want to pick it up, in her mind, it isn't a good financial decision for me because it's better for me to save my money, put it in the bank, invest it, do something else with it other than pick up the check. So it's kind of a it's kind of a catch twenty two because I'm expected to pick up the check, but at the same time, when I do, it's kind of oh, you sh- you shouldn't be doing that because I don't think you can afford it. It's definitely a new dynamic for me. I often feel like, well, what am I even bringing to the table here? Connie said that our biggest relationship issue was that the biggest thing holding our relationship back was money, and so with where I am there, it's like you know, why am I even? Sometimes I even ask, well. Why, why even, why even date somebody with such a huge discrepancy with money? So Hmm. can you try to answer that question for me? If you are not the financial provider, then what value do you bring? Well, right now, I suppose I, I bring a a lot to the table as far as, um, you know, emotions and I'm, show her things that I don't think that she's accustomed to as far as, you know, just, just, just general intimacy and, and, and what a man can bring emotional that, that isn't, that isn't financially. I, I guess I'm, I'm filling some roles that I didn't even know were, were roles until, until I'm in this relationship. You can hear Wes struggling to define his role in the relationship if he's not a provider. And this is the age-old question of the C-word, contribution. In relationships where one person earns much more than the other, the lower-earning partner is often obsessed with contribution. And in our culture, if it can't be quantified, it doesn't have value. This person brings in $5,000 a month. That's value. But that person organizes the household or maintains the backyard or plans events for the family or is even recovering from an illness. And suddenly, we ask, or they ask themselves, where's the value? Interestingly, the higher earner can reassure the other person that their work is valuable. But the lower earner is often convinced that their work isn't seen as valuable, even if their partner tells them it is. This is much, much more complicated than anything you will find on a spreadsheet. And it is really frustrating for both parties. I was so blessed growing up with so many people teaching me how to be good with money. And I want to help impart that onto Wes. And I don't think I do it in, a, in the most positive manner. How I make him feel is that 
I hate even saying this. Like, I, I think I make him feel like he's, he's dumb and he's not like, he's, he's brilliant. How do you make him feel dumb? I think I make him feel like, Hey, you're in your thirties. Like who in their thirties doesn't have a Roth set up or who in their thirties doesn't have a 401k set up. Like everyone knows that those are simple basics. Uh, maybe you should talk to some of the people I've talked to. (laughs) (laughs) They don't know what a Roth is. I get that Connie isn't winning a lot of fans right now, but let's go a little deeper. If you've been talking about money since you were five years old and everyone around you has been talking about it too, you can imagine why you might assume that everyone knows this. This is also why you see people of the same socioeconomic status often marrying similar people. In social science, it's called assortative mating, and it's become even more pronounced since the 1970s. This means that like marries like, or in other words, highly educated people tend to marry other highly educated people. Now, whether or not you agree with it, you can see how growing up with different values makes you approach the world through different lenses. I'm wondering if Connie recognizes this. If you ever follow me on Instagram, sometimes you'll see me post about my behind-the-scenes travel experiences, coffee tours, salsa-making classes in Mexico, all kinds of culinary stuff in India. And I'll get a lot of people saying, where do I find that Kyoto notepad maker that you found? And one place you can find that is Viator. In fact, my wife and I use Viator to book a Segway tour where we took a tour of a new city and we had an amazing experience, something we never would have thought of doing on our own. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. And with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries, there's something for everybody. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real travel reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best travel activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. I have a friend of mine who's always cold. She told me she and her partner have totally different temperatures when they sleep. She goes to bed in a flannel pajama. She's got extra blankets. Her partner's running hot. So now she recently started testing the pod cover from 8sleep, one of our sponsors. Before she goes to sleep, she gets on the app, cranks up the heat, and when she gets into bed at night, it's already warm and waiting for her. The pod cover by 8sleep fits on your bed like a fitted sheet, and it collects information. It has sensors The pod then uses that information to understand what you need to get better sleep. You can set it to heat up or cool down before you get into bed. It also adjusts while you sleep. And you can set it to change temperatures to gently wake you up in the morning. Best part, there are two zones. So if you run hot and your partner runs cold, you can each set your side of the bed to exactly how you want it. Improve the way you sleep by using my link at 8sleep.com slash for $200 off plus free shipping on their high-tech Pod 3 cover. That's 8sleep.com slash E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash R-A-M-I-T for a better, smarter sleep. That's interesting though, Connie, isn't it? Because you grew up talking about money from the age of five. Mm-hmm. And so to you, money 
and IRAs and things like that are as common as knowing to tie your shoes or brush your teeth. Yes. And do you realize that that's not common for most people? I do. I realize I've been so blessed and fortunate with my parents, grandparents, everyone teaching me. But it still doesn't change the way you feel, does it? No, because those feelings are pretty ingrained deep in my psyche. Every responsible member of society should be saving and putting towards retirement and understand finances. And I, I know that that's not realistic. Do you know there's a difference between knowing and feeling? This is something Wes brings to the table a lot better than I do. Wes has a huge smile on his face right now. (laughs) Like huge. He's like, I can't wait to get in on this part. Just hold on a second, Wes. So Connie, you know, I can know something, but that doesn't mean I feel it. I can know something, but that doesn't mean I do it. Do you have anything like that in your life? I have been very, very caught up in my business for the last nine months. We had some personnel issues and it's just, it has been all-encompassing of my time. And because of that, I have dropped off the wagon in regards to working out daily. Mm -hmm. And I know that moving my body, it helps me feel better, look better, long-term health. It helps me emotionally be better. It helps every aspect of my life. And I'm so aware of that. And yet I'm not prioritizing it. So you tell yourself all these things. They're very rational, very intelligent reasons. But You still don't go and get physically active, which you know is also important. It's probably more important. I have I have one body. Yeah. So now now that you kind of feel that that dissonance between what you quote should do or what you want to do and what you're not, how do you think that might apply to Wes in his relationship with money? He does the exact same thing, but there's things that he probably knows it would be more beneficial to save, mm-hmm. but there's excuses and reasons as to why he's going to make decisions that go towards his rich life as opposed to savings. And he can give good excuses for them too. Yeah. Maybe they're excuses. Maybe they're reasons. I don't know. Excuses feels very negative to me. You know, So I don't like to give him that kind of value because yeah, reasons. Now, I have a question for you. It's a little provocative, Connie. What if Wes got frustrated with you for not being physically active. And every Saturday, he came into your office and he started knocking on the door saying, why don't you get outside? Go for a hike. You need to do this. It's not serving you. You're disappointing me. How would you feel about that? Horrible, resentful. I would probably, my personality, I would intentionally go away from it specifically because he was pushing it on me. Wow. And what does that make you realize, if anything? I really hope I'm not doing the same thing to him. Connie, that's exactly what you're doing. I doubt it's intentional, but that's the effect you're having on Wes. I'm curious how he thinks about his money. Wes, where are you with your finances today? How would you describe yourself? I would describe myself as doing better now than I ever have in my life. And of course, I I just started my own business uh, about a year and a half ago. And I have an income that I did not think was ever, well, not ever, but I did not think was in in as near a future as it is actually right now. 
Okay. So how much do you pay yourself every month? In the past three months, I've paid myself a little over $2,000. But it's, it's, it's better than what I've done in the past, which was just have a, a, a job that where I was working 8, 10, maybe 12 hours a day. And you what know, you I'm, doing? A I'm a welder. Okay. And how much were you getting paid as a welder? I was getting paid on just a regular 40 hour week, 1300 a week net. How much annual income were you making back then? Mm, 60 plus. Okay. 60, 70, somewhere in that range. Okay. So I'm curious because you were making more as an individual when you were working as a welder than you are now taking home roughly $2,000 a month. Yes. But you told me I'm making more than I ever thought. I feel great about money. Can you explain that to me? Sure. Well, like I said, actually, okay, this year, just it's September this year, I've probably bought $60,000 worth of equipment for my business. Now it's, it's not net, but that's assets I've put towards my business. that's going to make it better and stronger and more capable. And it's actually things that I absolutely must have to, to, to continue doing what I'm doing. Okay. And day to day, where do you spend your money? So I really don't, uh, my largest expense is probably food. I, I, I feed myself. Other than that, I don't buy clothes very often. Uh, I, I, I know that. So I, I live, I live at home with, uh, I, I live at home with dear old mom. And so I don't, I'm, I'm not paying rent, but I am helping her out. So it's not like I'm staying here freeloading. Um, and insurance, everything like that comes out of my business account. Gas for my vehicles comes out of my business account everything else. So day to day, I don't spend a whole lot of money on myself. That's why I'm able to pay myself so little. Got it. And what's the future of this? Like right now, you're paying yourself basically 2000 a month, but you have very low expenses. Where do you see this going in six months, a year, et cetera? Fortunately, I found myself in a position where I've somehow landed a seven-figure contract. And I really plan on making... I stand right now to make roughly... I'm going to say about $300,000 net over the next six to eight months. And so I imagine that with that, I'll be paying myself a little bit more than $2,000 a month. How much? I would love to pay myself closer to, you know, perhaps uh, even even $5,000 a month. Not that I need it, but it would just be there to put into savings or investments or what have you, things that I haven't been able to prioritize in the past. Talk to me about how you grew up with money. What do you remember your family talking about with money? What was the financial situation of your family when you were young? So we really didn't have... It's, it's quite the uh, quite stark contrast to, to Kanye over there. We, we didn't talk much about money at the dinner table. It was more uh, politics and, and, and things of that nature. So really... I didn't, I didn't know what a Roth IRA was. I didn't, I didn't know how 401ks worked. I didn't know any of that. Just a quick pause to highlight how families with money talk about money regularly. You'll hear this over and over on this podcast. On the other hand, families without money or those who see money as a source of stress, guilt, and shame, they don't talk about money. Why would they? In their eyes, money is a bad thing. And that leaves their children defenseless as they grow up never having discussed it. 
Talk to your kids about money. A few years ago, I was at a tea tasting in New York with one of my buddies. I thought it was going to be a normal tea tasting. Suddenly, six people from Japan come in. They pour basically three thimblefuls of tea and we taste it. I've never tasted anything like that. And they tell us if we were to buy that, just the three thimblefuls, it would be $75. Now, drop for drop, that's the most expensive thing I've ever had to drink. Not all of us have the time or the money to buy that specific tea from that specific mountainside in Japan. But what if you could capture that feeling of the care and the love, even the way that they served it to us? What if you could bring that to your home every morning? Well, I want to introduce you to one of our newest sponsors, Peak Tea. What makes Peak Tea special is that the tea is cold extracted using only wild harvested leaves from 250-year-old tea leaves. That makes the tea rich in minerals, and other beneficial compounds. Now, the greatest part is that peak tea is zero prep. There's no tea bag that you have to steep for the perfect amount of time. Peak dissolves in cold or hot water in seconds. It's already pre-measured, it's perfectly brewed, and it's perfect to take if you travel. My team's been trying peak tea, and they especially love the Pu'er green teas. For a limited time, get up to 15% off and a free quiver with 12 tea samples with my link, peaklife.com slash Ramit. That's P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E dot com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T. I get tons of email every single day, and I want to give you a behind-the-scenes look at how I manage emails from my team, from my family, and from you. I use a piece of software called Superhuman, and this is an email software that I actually pay for out of my own pocket. It works with your existing email service like Gmail or Outlook, and let me share how it saves me over 10 hours a week. So here are a few things I love about it. First off, it splits my inbox into different streams, so my important emails come into one place. It's not cluttered with a bunch of subscriptions everywhere. Next, I use keyboard shortcuts Unlike you barbarians who literally click and peck through every single email, U to market unread, S to star it, J or K to cycle through messages. I use keystrokes to schedule messages, like when I want to ask one of my coworkers a question, but I don't want to send them an email on a Saturday. Now, I can work through dozens of emails in minutes using this. And Superhuman just introduced an AI feature, which allows you to take a huge email with all these people chiming in and automatically summarize what's going on in a few bullet points. It'll even draft emails for you. So if you want to buy back your time, Superhuman is a no-brainer to me. It's something I spend my own money on and I love it. Right now, all IWT listeners will get a free month of Superhuman. You can get started at superhuman.com slash Ramit. That's superhuman.com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T. My dad, he would take us out to dinner, um, you know, every every other Friday, something like that. Take the family out to dinner, and you know, he would always pick up the bill. Is you know, that was just how it was. And he has he had his own business, and he was doing well, but we didn't really talk about we didn't really talk about money at all. And as a matter of fact, he went into an incredible amount of debt, and in the two thousand eight, when everything collapsed i mean it just it, it just imploded and so that 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 kind of failed so i i don't really have any any influence 
from, you know, my years as a younger individual on how to handle money at all. So just what I've done, I've learned more what not to do more than what to do. Wow. This is so interesting hearing both of your different backgrounds with how you grew up with money. Do you both find it interesting or do you find it just aggravating? I think it's interesting. I bring it up probably more than she does. You You do? Yeah. I tell her, I'm like, look, you have such a different background on it. Like, I just, I don't know these things because she'll, she'll ask me, she'll ask me things like I'm actually, I'm genuinely interested in pursuing it. You know, I'll ask her about ETFs and I'll ask her about, you know, investments and okay, why not mutual funds? Why not Mm -hmm. this? Because I just, because I feel like she is this font of knowledge. Those are good questions. Great. Those are pretty intermediate level questions, honestly. And how does Connie respond when you ask those questions? How do those conversations go? Sometimes I feel a little sheepish to ask because sometimes there are the ones like, well, that's, that's, that's an obvious, why don't, you just, why don't you just Google it? Just, I mean, take, take some time out of your day and just figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I know she mentioned that sometimes it comes off as demeaning. And so, you it know, does it to you? A little bit, yeah, because just some of the, some of the ways that she words it, it, it makes me a little less apt to ask the questions. Uh, I know before I was, I was like, wow, I'm dating this this superstar that knows all these things. It's like, oh, let me let me just get as much knowledge as I can out of the situation. It was like, ah, you know, I don't even know that I really want to ask this. Let me maybe Google it first. Can you think of a time where you asked a question and? the response you got was not the kind of response you were looking for? Sure. Asking about, I remember I, I had recently opened a Roth or we, we had talked about opening up a Roth IRA and, you know, she was like, Hey, you should just go do that. So, so I did. And I was kind of asking questions about, okay, well, what, um, through who do you use your Roth or, or, or what benefits is this? And, you know, why this over this, whatever it was. And the, I remember the answer being so flippant. I don't remember the answer, but I just remember just being so, you know, like, you know, that I was like, oh, I shouldn't have even asked that question. I feel like that's something I should have known already. Let me just, let me just, instead of asking, just go research. So, you know, when Wes comes to you and asks a question about ETFs or something like that, what goes through your mind before you even answer? What do you feel when he comes to you with one of these questions? My first thought is that I'm proud that he's asking the questions because I know that it's a big change for him with where he was two years ago. And so I, I love that he's asking the questions. And I, like the other day, we had a whole conversation about why ETFs and target date funds were better than mutual funds because of the expense ratio. And, you know, like he was Googling some stuff and we were talking about it and it was a great conversation. But I, I do know there are some times that I definitely come across as, man, like, how, how do I know that? How do you know? Is that what but you come no, across as? How do you not know that? Ah. And, and I know that there's no, I don't, I need to get rid of that. Well, I need to get rid of that. I mean, do you know how to weld stuff? I got no freaking clue. You know how to weld like different, t- I don't even know what you weld, metal <laughs> or concrete. <laughs> okay. I don't even know. clearly. So here, let's let the blind try to lead the blind. Do you know how to weld concrete to algae? No. So if I let's just play this out. Watch this. Watch this. Wes, uh, I'm going to be Connie 
who has some questions about welding. And then you be you. Just do what you would naturally do. Hey, Wes, I'm so curious about welding because I saw something on TV. How would you weld concrete <laughs> to steel? It's not possible. There's, there's no way you can do such a thing. No. I, uh, are you sure? Because... <laughs> That TV show, there was somebody doing something with the, they put the thing over their eyes and then the fire came out. No? Yeah, you didn't. You just, you just flip the rod around and use the other end. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So as you can see, Connie, I don't even know what questions to ask. Yeah. I have no context whatsoever. Am I talking about welding? Is the word fire? I don't know the basic terminology. He could, you know, he kind of joked around with me. Okay, cool. We're all laughing. What if he had responded in a different way? What if he had been like, uh, that's really like... It's a dumb question. Yeah, like that doesn't make any sense. And then how would you feel getting that response? It would make me not want to ask the questions anymore. Yeah. It would make me lose interest in the topic. And that's yeah. not what I want to do. Yeah. I don't think Wes wants to become a world-class investing expert. Wes, what are you really getting at when you ask those questions? Hey, what do you think is the best thing for me to do in this situation so that it can have a positive impact on the future? And, you know, just just general guidelines. On your future, Wes? Or another future? Well, potentially both. Potentially my future because I want to know. And then potentially if, if we're, if, you know, if we, if we plan on moving together as partners through life, that yeah. that would obviously be a benefit for both of our futures, yeah. obviously. So really deep down, it's not just about the ETFs. When he's asking those questions, I really admire that he's asking these pretty, pretty intriguing, pretty detailed questions about investments. I mean, I'm like, gosh, I wish more people asked that kind of stuff about expense ratios. I think what Wes is really asking is, how do I connect with you, Connie? Because I know that money's really important to you. Now, Connie, your perspective is like, well, that's one piece of a million different things you need to know about investments. But here's the thing, Connie, you've been learning about this since you were five years old. And Wes, correct me if I'm wrong, but you haven't had a lot of people around you talking about investments and asset allocation and things like that. Is that fair? Never. Yeah. Never. You both are coming from completely different worlds. I feel like I hardly know anything. Like, I feel like I just kind of know the basics, but... Uh, you, you feel that way, but to Wes, what does Wes think you know? Everything. Yeah. And functionally, you do. For somebody who doesn't know about an ETF versus a mutual fund, you functionally know everything. Like, to me, Wes knows everything about welding because mm-hmm. I know nothing. Yeah. It's important to know where we all stand, right? What's the context? Wes has some great questions. I love when people are engaged and they're asking genuine questions. I would rather help somebody with a modest income who is truly curious about money than someone who makes a ton of money and just doesn't really care. In fact, in time, it's very possible that the person with a modest income will live a richer life because of that curiosity. By the way, these are the kind of conversations I have in my Rich Life community, which is part of my money coaching program. You can sign up at iwt.com slash money coaching. Now, Wes is trying to learn, but Connie isn't making it easy. Part of it is her story 
that you should just know about money. And part of it is her perspective that a man should be the provider. But I still can't stop thinking about the fact that her mom used to make more than her dad. If you are a business owner, listen up. As your business starts to grow, you and I both know what happens. Those things that you used to do manually start to break. They start to take up all your time. And you decide, I'm going to look for some automation. The things you used to do take a week, but how do you automate these things? Well, if this is you and you are in charge of your business, there are three numbers you should know. 36,000, 25, and 1. 36,000, that's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system. It streamlines accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for your KPIs in one efficient system with one source of truth. You can manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. It's everything you need all in one place. And as you know, I like to see all my numbers in one place. That's exactly what NetSuite can help you do. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at iwt.com slash NetSuite. That's iwt.com slash NetSuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E, to get your own KPI checklist. iwt.com slash NetSuite. One of my money dials is generosity. For example, I love tipping big. I love buying gifts and experiences for my family. And recently, I bought my parents a subscription to Delete Me, this episode's sponsor. Delete Me is a subscription service that will remove your personal information that's being sold online. If you've ever Googled your name, you'll notice tons of search results with your personal information being shared online. That's not okay. It's not okay for you. It's definitely not okay for your family, including your parents. Now, Delete Me will remove it all, your name, address, phone number, all of it. It automatically works in the background to scan and delete your personal information from over 30 data brokers, but they'll do custom requests on over 580 data brokers total. The thing is, identity theft is a real issue. An estimated 15 million Americans had their identity stolen in 2021. We've had a number of people on this very show who were victims of identity theft. And often it put them into tens of thousands of dollars of credit card debt and it ruined their credit. That's why I find Delete Me so valuable. It's a service that I personally use and I love it. They reviewed over 4,600 listings for me and removed dozens of pieces of personal information. I knew it would be important to protect my parents too, but I also knew that they probably wouldn't sign up themselves. So I just got it for them. So if generosity is one of your money dials, great. If you care about your parents at all, if you have ever given them a hug, just sign them up. You know they aren't going to do it for themselves, but you also know that they probably need it. So if you want to get your personal information and the personal information of your loved ones removed from search results on the web, go to joindeleteme.com slash Ramit for 20% off a plan for you or your entire family. That's joindeleteme.com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T, for 20% off.
Wes, were you surprised by the fact that her dad used to pick up the check, but it was with their joint money and her mom actually made more? A touch of surprise. A touch of, yeah, wow, I didn't know that. What does that tell you? How do you interpret that? That's a good question. It tells me that there's, you know, it's it's not all on me. Mm. It's Keep not going. all on me. Keep going. And that they have a have a partner there that that'll it'll help you out. And that goes a long way. Partners. Mm-hmm. Partners. Even in Connie's relationship and Connie's parents' relationship, where Connie herself says, I think the man should pick up the tab. And then we probe a little bit and we realize, well, the man was picking up the tab with his wife's money and their yeah. joint money. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah, that's sure is something. The story gets more complex than this simple Disney story that many of us hear. Okay. <laughs> this story is about to get a lot more complicated. Let's talk numbers. Before coming on the show, Wes and Connie filled out a conscious spending plan together. Now we're going to look into how much they have. Connie, how much money do you have? I have enough. Let's let's talk numbers because before we get into all this stuff, I I think I think we all need to know about your numbers. Uh, So let's just look at your current spending. You submitted some documents to me before. Can you walk me through your net worth? A little over six million right now. <laughs> and how old are you, Connie? Forty-one. <laughs> okay, so you have six million dollars, and we're sitting over here talking about adding olives to our salad. What is going on right now? <laughs> I got to walk through these numbers just so everybody can hear all the details. Your assets are. <laughs> What are your assets, Connie? And I didn't, I didn't really know how to list them in the conscious spending document. Yeah, because there I, wasn't enough space in the spreadsheet for all your assets. <laughs> Go ahead, list them off to me. Um, I know you know them too. Well, no, I, I don't even. I don't even really count my car or my housing situation is currently very unique. So those numbers are so low that I don't count them. What kind of car do you have? A uh, Ford Fusion that's ten years old. Why does everyone drive a Ford Fusion on this show? Because they're inexpensive and I bought it used for hardly anything. Okay. Uh, All right. I I do hate Ford, but I just want to point (laughs) out for every listener, please notice that all these multimillionaires are usually driving older cars. I just want to point that out to everyone. Meanwhile, the people who are in total financial trouble are driving these $75,000 trucks where they have no idea how they can afford it. All right, Connie, what else? What else do you have in your financial situation? Um, obviously have a Roth 401k and then a significant amount in ETFs and your your investments total are worth how much? About a little over 6 million. Okay. And then any savings? So when I say investments, I meant that as everything that's in investments and in cash. How much is in cash? About half of that, which I know is probably a little bit too much, but it makes me sleep better at night. You have fifty percent in cash. All right, um, Wes. If you ever want, if if she ever turns that spotlight on you, you just go. Why do you have a fifty percent cash allocation? All right, I know, and, and I've been allocating a lot into target date funds recently, just because the stock market went down. And I know you can't time the market, but all I right, like, whatever. I'm not going to argue with someone who has six million dollars at age forty-one. Fine. And how much do you make per month? 
business has been going pretty well the last two or three years. So netting about 200. Can you say that in a full sentence, please? I've been netting about 200,000 a month. Uh, you heard that right, folks. $200,000 per month. Connie is making 100 times more than Wes every month. And she has $6 million in the bank. Can you imagine being in a relationship where your partner made 100 times more than you? And how can Connie expect the man to be the provider in the relationship if she makes 100 times more than he does? Next week, you'll hear part two of this conversation to hear if we can get Connie and Wes on the same page. And we're going to go deeper into their numbers. Now, Connie and Wes use the Conscious Spending Plan, which you can get at iwt.com slash episode 64. And next week, tune in to hear the rest of the conversation. Here's a sneak peek. So you yeah. make $2.4 million a year income. Yes. Your investments total are worth how much? A little over $6 million. Okay. And Wes, have you ever been in a relationship where at the time you were making 2000 a month, your partner was making 200000 a month? <laughs> Certainly not. And so, Connie, if you paid for dinner with the two of you, how would you feel about it? I feel like I'm not getting what I want out of the relationship. And then I also feel like it's irresponsible of me to let him take me out to dinner. You want him to do exactly what you do with money? Is that fair to say? Yeah, that sounds horrible, but yes. But he's not you. Yep. Thanks for listening to I Will Teach You To Be Rich. I'm Ramit Sethi. Please follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't read I Will Teach You To Be Rich, my book, pick up a copy. You can get it at any bookstore or any library, and it will show you the specific tactics for how to build the I Will Teach You To Be Rich system into your personal finances.